Jesus had been raised from the dead. He appeared to a multitude of folks over the period of about 40 days. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, the Bible says that just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he had some specific instructions that he gave to his disciples. And this is what he said. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Since that time, you could read the history of the church. I'm talking about the church that belongs to Jesus. And you would see that over this period of time, the church has struggled from time to time trying to figure out, trying to interpret, trying to put into place exactly what Jesus was talking about. How do you make disciples? Over the next few weeks, I'm going to invite you to join with me in looking at how we do this and what it looks like, not not from an educational or analytical kind of perspective, but how it is fleshed out in the lives of human beings just like you and me. Now, someone has said that it was Socrates who made popular, or excuse me, it was Socrates who introduced the idea of disciples in the first place, but it was Jesus and the church who actually made disciple popular. Now, what does that mean? We know that Socrates, which is an ancient Greek philosopher, would bring his students around him. He would bring them up close and he he would teach them by asking questions. And we talk about the Socratic method of delivering instruction. He, he would lead them down a path where as they would answer the questions that the teacher would ask, they would eventually arrive at some kind of principle or precept that he wanted them to know, knowledge that he considered valuable for life to be lived in a meaningful way. Jesus brought his disciples close And from time to time, he would ask them questions, but Jesus began to embody by example exactly what he wanted for them. And his, his desire was that they would imitate his own life, that, that they, would, they would observe, that they would learn, that, that they would see some things that were very important in the spiritual realm and say to themselves, This is for us as well. This is something that we ought to give ourselves to, and this is something that we ought to desire. This morning, we look at a first disciple that Jesus called, and his name is none other than Simon Peter. There are four listings of the 12 disciples in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. John is the only gospel that does not include a listing of the 12 disciples. In all four listings of the 12 disciples, Simon Peter is first. And when you read the listing in Matthew's gospel, this is what it says. Jesus called the disciples first Simon Peter. 
And what's interesting about that word first is in the Greek, which is the original language of that text, the word is proton, which can also be translated as chief. Are you aware that over 70% of the time that a disciple would speak in the New Testament, it was Simon Peter? Now granted, most of the times he was just opening his mouth to exchange feet, right? Because he would blurt out things that nobody else had ever thought of. or want. Where did that come from? Sometimes there was an awkward pause in the conversation, I think, as Jesus was talking to his disciples. And usually it was Simon Peter who would break the silence. Several years ago, I was introduced to what is called the fish philosophy. If you've never heard about it, I encourage you to go home, Google that, and see if you can find a video or maybe a little information about it. It originated at a fish market in Seattle, Washington. And uh, the people in the video and, and the business there have actually just sort of encapsulated this idea of what it means to have fun at work. And if you can have fun at work, then it becomes meaningful and productive. And it's, a, it's an interesting concept because the way it works is the, the fish market in Seattle, the Seattle fish market as it goes by name, is an open-air market. Uh, the business is open there, and as you walk through, the, you, would, you would see the counter of fish all packed in ice there, and, and the people who are working are having fun. They're, 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 they're saying funny things to each other, and there are others out there who are the barkers, we might call them, who are trying to get the passerbys to come in and buy fish from their business. And occasionally you will see someone who will say so, somebody behind the counter, he wants a salmon or she wants this or whatever, and they'll just throw the fish <clears throat> across the counter out into the public. You, you're just liable to get hit by a fish when you walk up to the market as you are being greeted somebody when you come in to do business there. It's called the fish philosophy. And what you discover is that there is an idea that they come to work every day saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage somebody. I want, I want people to have fun when they're around me and when they come in to do our business or be a part of our business. I think that every one of those people say, I want the freedom to express my own personality as I'm doing my job. And I want, to, I want you to see the joy and the enthusiasm with me as I go about doing what I am challenged to do. For me personally, that is Simon Peter. I think Simon was the life of the party. I think anytime people were around him, you could hear laughter. You could hear people who would say, oh, that, that, that fellow has a great sense of humor. That guy, he, he's so interesting. And what I like about Simon Peter is he, he becomes to us initially as a man's man. You know this idea that people say followers of Jesus are sort of meek and mild, maybe even a little effeminate. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ was a man and he expressed his masculinity perfectly but so were his followers you, you see uh, Paul when he started his ministry he would go from place to place and the Bible says that he would go to the synagogue now he started out looking for the Jews because Jesus was a Jew and Jesus died for the sins of the world and Paul wanted to go say I, I want to tell you 
the Messiah that you're praying for has come. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross. And Paul would begin his ministry there. But at some point, as the Jews began to be resistant to his message, what did Paul do? He dusted his feet off, didn't he? And he said, from this point forward, I will go to the Gentiles. And as Paul went out, he went to the outcast. He went to the people that the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with because he knew that the gospel was for them as well. Jesus embodies this, this willingness to reach out to the unexpected, which may be you, which may be me, and say, I want you to follow me. I want to make a disciple out of you. Now the reason I use this as an illustration, folks, is because that everybody here has the idea, oh, I know who would make a good church member. I know who would make a good church goer. Do you really? Because our profile of what that person looks like is nothing compared to the kind of men that Jesus called and said, you 12 guys, I want you to follow me. Now we're going to talk more about the selection process in weeks to come. This morning I want you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5. I want to show you the call of Simon Peter. We know that he was a fisherman by trade. He was in business with his brother, Andrew. They were also in business with James and John, who were brothers. And so they were commercial fishermen. In Luke chapter 4, you, you see that the popularity of Jesus is on the rise. And one of the miracles that Jesus performed here, we believe, was his second miracle. Now, how many of you know what his first miracle was? Raise your hand. I need to wake you up. What was it? Turning water into wine. But do you know what his second miracle was? And we can speculate on this, but because it was early on in his ministry, we believe the second miracle of Jesus was the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. I probably shouldn't say this. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but some would say that's why later on Peter denied having anything to do with Jesus. <laughs> we, we know a little of what that is like. In Luke chapter 5, people are coming around Jesus in the hundreds and thousands. Eventually, when Jesus would multiply the bread and the fish, we know there were in thousands there to hear him. But here in Luke chapter 5, look at what it says. It happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, him as Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, the lake of Gennesaret is the Sea of Galilee. If you have that image in your mind of what Israel is like, Sea of Galilee is in the north. It, the the uh, Jordan River flows to the south there and empties into the Dead Sea in the south. So that's, that's the main water source in Israel. The Sea of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, is also known as the Sea of Tiberias and also as the Lake Beautiful. Now that's going to come about in just a little bit, so hang on to those. But know that the Sea of Galilee was one body of water there that had about four names that are all mentioned in the New Testament. And what you see here is that the crowds have come around Jesus. They're listening to him teach. And then look at what happens in verse 2. He, Jesus, saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. 
So as you see, the people came, and they're probably shaking his hand and hugging his neck and greeting him. I mean, you know, this, this man who multiplies bread and fish and heals the sick, he's a per- pretty popular person. And as they're just getting closer and closer to Jesus and gathering around, Jesus is pushed back to the, to the water's edge. Now, another gospel says that Jesus requested the use of Simon's boat. Here it just says he got into it and he launched out from the shore there just a little bit so he could have a vantage point and speak to the crowd. So he began to teach them and he began to speak to them. And look at what it says he did next. Verse 4, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon and his brother Andrew. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. Your translation will say from this point on you will be fishers of men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now quickly, let me give you just a small lesson of what this was about. What did that boat represent to Simon? Everything. He made his living with that boat. If he couldn't make a living with his boat, he couldn't provide for his family. We know he was married because he had a mother-in-law, right? Possibly even children. Don't know that to be true, but possibly. So he had to clothe them. He had to feed them. He had to provide shelter for them. Are you aware that in Israel today, the most authentic site in Israel is the home of Simon Peter and Capernaum? They can take you to places and say, we think this is where Jesus was crucified. We think this was the tomb where Jesus was buried. We think this was a place where he multiplied the bread and the fish. We think this was a place. We think this was a place. But when you go to the home of Simon Peter, which is not far from a Uh, an area that was known as the synagogue in Capernaum, they can say there's archaeological evidence that this is the home of Simon Peter. Simon was a well-known person. They knew his trade. They knew what he did. He fished for a living. And after Jesus had borrowed his boat, he said, I'd like to go fishing. Now, did you hear Simon's objection to that? Lord, we, we fished all night. We caught nothing. I think he probably stopped there as if to say, he's a carpenter. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's asking. We don't fish in the day. We fish at night when it's cool. And we certainly don't go out to the deep water. We fish in the shallow water where the fish are. Probably a little pause there in the conversation and an awkwardness and he could see the seriousness on Jesus' face. And I I think probably because Jesus had healed his mother-in-law because he'd been teaching the crowd and there were others standing around. Simon says, okay, because you ask, I will do as you say. 
And they let out in the deep water, let down their nets, and the Bible says they caught a great catch of fish. So much so that Simon Peter's began looking over his shoulder saying, Hey, James, John, bring another boat. We need some help here. And as they go out, they begin, and they're amazed at the great catch of fish. This was something that they ordinarily do not do. Something they probably maybe had never done. And yet they begin to realize that it was because of Jesus that they are receiving such a large quantity of fish. Could I say this to us this morning? Sometimes Jesus asks us to do something that doesn't make any sense. It's a little out of the routine. It's non-traditional. And we say, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. There's a little bit of risk involved here. I mean, people are going to say, Simon, can't believe that you were, you know, just led astray by Jesus and him wanting to go fishing. Sometimes we think we're more concerned about what other people will say than what we know in our heart that God is calling us to do. Can I just tell you folks, I have seen it so many times in churches, in my own life. You sense that God is leading you in a direction, but yet you're fearful or you're concerned or you can rationalize and you say, oh, there are so many reasons why we should not do this. And we totally ignore the fact that it is the Creator Himself who's asking us to do it And as a result, when we do not do it, what happens? We miss the blessing that He has for us. What is it in your own life that God is challenging you to do? I heard about a church one time, and I'm not recommending this. I don't know that there's even a need to do it. But this church put an ad in the newspaper, and they they put it out in their community and said, we want everybody to know that we have made decisions in the past that were not good, not in the best interest of the kingdom's work. And we're asking for your forgiveness. And we're asking that if you are looking and seeking for a church home, come, be a part of our church family. There were a lot of people who said, we don't need to do that. There were were objections in the church. And yet the church voted to do it. And they put the ad in the paper and the church began to explode as people were coming back and saying, we want to see if you mean business with God. And folks came. Sometimes God's calling us to do that. And Simon said to him, Lord, I, I don't need to be around you. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said from this point forward, you'll be fishers of men. It was the call of God that was placed on his life. The second thing I want you to see is his confession. If you'll flip back to Matthew chapter 16, just for a moment, Jesus was on retreat with his disciples. They came to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is in northern Galilee, even further north than the Sea of Galilee. To this day, it is a place where people love to go and visit just to relax. There are beautiful streams and meadows. There are mountains there. And it's just a very placid, welcoming place for you to go and just sort of meditate for a while. And I have in my mind that Jesus was seated around his disciples, around a campfire with the disciples. Look at what it says in Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? I think there was a pause there. I think, you know, there's probably, you know, they're kind of looking at one another, wondering, well, who's going to speak on our behalf? Yes. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And he goes on to say, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now quickly, let me tell you, in John's gospel, chapter 1, when Jesus meets Simon, John says that there he changed his name from Simon, which was Cephas, to Petra. Rock. And he says, I, I, I want people to know who you are. And, and it's the idea that, you know, I, I, I think you have the ability to have the shoulders, the personality, the, the demeanor for other people to stand on you and on your life. You're a strong person, Simon. And your name doesn't reflect that, but I want it to reflect that. So from this point forward, you will be known as Peter. Simon Peter was his name. Simon Peter spoke up here at Caesarea and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He was right, by the way. And when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, the Catholic church teaches that it was on Simon Peter that he built the church. It wasn't on Simon Peter. It was on the declaration of his faith in Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. That is everything that we do in the church. Every ministry, every program, every organization, everything that we do exists for the sole purpose to point people to Christ as the Son of the living God. My question to you this morning is, do you know Him as the Son of the living God? Have you trusted Him as your Savior? If somebody asked you on the street, out there just at random, who is Jesus to you? What would be your answer? Somehow, some way, in so many words, I hope you would be able to say, He's the Christ. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He is the Son of the living God. That was Simon Peter's response here. It was his confession of who Jesus truly was and is. And Jesus said on this truth, I will build my church. Quickly, go to point three, which is Simon's conflict. Now, this may be where we identify with Simon more than any other place where he's mentioned in Scripture. And there are lots of places where we could turn. For instance, here in Matthew 16, after Jesus begins to talk to them about going to Jerusalem and, and dying, I want you to look at what it says in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to him. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. What? He just made this bold declaration of who Jesus was. And Jesus said, that came from inspiration on high. God revealed that truth to you, Simon. You didn't come up with that on your own. God revealed that to you. And just a matter of a few minutes later, he's saying to me, you're not talking as a spiritual man anymore. Get thee behind me. God's will from being done in my life. Get thee behind me, 
Satan. From the highest of the high to the lowest of the low. Here Simon fell just that quick. Wish we had time to turn back to Matthew 14. Two chapters prior, you know the story. Jesus had gone to pray, sent the disciples on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in a boat, remember? And as they're out there in the boat, what happens? A storm comes up. Near my visit to Israel, I was fortunate enough to be on a boat out in the Sea of Galilee, and in a matter of just a few seconds, a storm came up, and the waves were beating against the boat. Now, it wasn't a boat like they were in. But I, I thought about that when that experience came to on our group. They're in a boat. They're fearful for their life. Now get this picture. Here are professional, commercial fishermen who spent their life on the lake, who doubtless have seen storms and winds come. And as they're trying to get to the other shore, the Bible says they feared for their lives, right? They were scared to death. And in the middle of the storm, the wind, the waves, they see Jesus coming, walking to them on the water. And Simon Peter spoke up. Remember what he said? Lord, if that's you, let me come to you. And Jesus said, jump on in, Rocky. <laughs> and he stepped out of the boat and lo and behold, began to walk on water. He didn't just observe a miracle. He was living the miracle as he walked on the water. And then the Bible says that he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And Jesus reached out and immediately they were in the boat. Up one minute, living a miracle. The next minute, fearful that he was going to lose his life sinking in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Ups and downs, ups and downs. Take you to the upper room as Jesus is having the Passover meal with his disciples. Begins to talk about his betrayal. Simon Peter said, Lord, all these 11 can betray you. I will never betray you. Remember? Jesus said, Simon, before the rooster crows and announces it's morning, you will have denied even knowing me three times. And you read in John's Gospel, chapter 18, how sure enough, three different times, three specific occasions, as Jesus had been arrested, was being tried by the Sanhedrin, Herod, Pilate, all the things that were taking place there, he was keeping a distance and somebody was saying, weren't, weren't you one of the disciples? Weren't you? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this man. I have nothing to do with him. And the Bible says that while Simon was warming himself by fire, somebody asked him about his association with Jesus and he said, I don't know him. And immediately the rooster crowed and announced it was morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to tell you something, folks. As I survey my own life and my spiritual journey, I identify with Simon up one minute, down the next. Up one minute, down the next. I know that my spiritual life looks like a graph and a roller coaster as you've graphed those points in my life. How many times have I found myself in a worship service that was so packed with the Spirit of God that it was as if he and I were the only ones there? Sometimes in my life, it's me by myself. 
out with my face in the dirt and I'm praying and pouring out my heart to God and I'm saying, oh Lord, I don't feel you. I don't sense you. I don't know where you are. And it's those times that God's reminding me, Bill, I haven't moved. I've always been where I am. You're the one that's distanced yourself from me. And as I find that renewal and that tug back into that personal close relationship with Jesus Christ, I get up from that point and I have this renewed strength, this outlook, this optimism. And as I begin to walk away, what happens? I got this. And the minute you and I say we can handle it, we've abandoned him. I wish I had more time to spend in John 21, but I want you to look at that chapter with me. John's Gospel chapter 21, for me personally, culminates into one of the most dramatic scenes in all of the Bible. There have been times in my own life where I have come to this scripture and I have read it and read it and relived it in my own heart. And I want you to see what happens here. Verse 1 says, after these things, Jesus manifested himself. That's my translation. It literally means he revealed himself Again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, Lake Beautiful, Lake Gennesaret. Remember? That's where they are. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, James and John and two other of his disciples were together. Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. They went out and got into a boat And that night, they caught nothing. Hmm. Verse 4 says, But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. What is Jesus doing? This is a deja vu moment for Simon. This is Luke chapter 5 all over again. In Luke 5, they fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus said, let me tell you where the fish are. Some of you fish. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to show you where the fish are sometimes? He's doing that here. Cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat. So they cast and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Verse 7, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. That's Matthew 14. As Jesus came walking on the water, he throws himself out of the boat trying to get to Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 9. So when they got out on the land, they saw, get this, a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it. And bread. Charcoal fire. Don't run past that. Only two places in the New Testament where a fire is identified as a charcoal fire. You know where the other place was? John 18 where it says that Simon warmed himself by a charcoal fire. And denied knowing Jesus. Jesus is recreating the scene perfectly. 
Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew. Verse 15. So when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. You remember the last time you called him son of John? Matthew 16. When he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That means son of John. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I, I, I wish I could bring my books in my library and I'd set them up here. There would be several. And I would show you in those books where this is one of those questions. We don't know what Jesus was talking about. When he said, do you love me more than these? Was he talking about the fish? Was he talking about the nets? Was he talking about the boats? Was he talking about the disciples? What was Jesus talking about? We don't know. The point is, it doesn't matter. Jesus was saying, Simon, do you love something else more than you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. How many times did Simon deny knowing the Lord? Three. How many times did Jesus ask him, do you love me? Three. What was Jesus doing? Every single time he said, get busy, go to work. I've got something for you to do. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Simon, there's something for you to do other than what you're doing. Why are you out here fishing when I've got a plan and I've got a purpose for your life, if only you'll follow it. You see, folks, Simon was dealing with so much guilt. He was convinced that because of the sin that he committed, that Jesus didn't want him to do what he called him to do. That God couldn't use him. That God wouldn't empower him to do it. But Jesus is telling him, oh, no. Listen, Simon, there's some higher purpose for you to live. And I need you to do it. There are people who are depending on you, Simon. Will you do what I've asked you to do? Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Get back to the business of doing what I have called you to do. My question, did he do it? Oh boy, did he. You read Acts chapter 2 as old Simon Peter stands there on the day of Pentecost and he, he announces to the people, men of Israel and you from Judea, listen to me. These men are not drunk as you say they are drunk. They are followers and obedient to the Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead and now His Spirit lives within them. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God fell that day and three thousand people were saved as a result of Simon Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Simon Peter, we know, went and was used of the Lord to plant churches by the early church. Read the book of Acts and you'll see how many times his name is mentioned there as he's going, as he's commissioned to go to different places and do specific things in ministry for Jesus and he is obedient to do it. Tradition says that Simon retired in Rome. Only in tradition do we know his wife's name. Her, name. her name was Perpetua. And while in Rome, Christians began to be persecuted. And 
And Peter felt that it was there that he, he needed to be in service to the Lord, reaching out to the brethren, tending to the sheep, and taking care of those who were suffering at the hands of the Romans. But at some point, Peter feared for his wife's life. And he took her by the hand, and they began to leave. And as they were getting away from Rome, he looked up and saw someone coming toward him. And as the story says, he, he looked and he spoke and he said, Domini Quovatis, which in Latin means, Lord, where are you going? And without breaking stride, the Lord was saying, My children need me in Rome, for they are hurting. And he just kept walking. And Simon Peter grabbed his wife and said, I abandoned him once. I will not do it again. And they marched back into Rome. He was later captured and told that he was going to be killed if he continued to minister in the name of Jesus. And he said, so be it. And they said, we're going to crucify you just like we crucified Jesus. And Simon Peter said, I'm not worthy. If you're going to crucify me, then do it upside down. And that they did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when the Lord calls a man, a woman, he bids them come and die. Die to self so that you may live for Christ. The beginning of making a disciple is dying to self. Stand with me this morning. <clears throat> Father, we sense that call upon our lives that you issued to Simon Peter so many years ago to countless individuals since then. Father, I pray that each of us in our own way would measure our commitment and the sacrifices, not that we have made, but that we are making at this very moment. Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, you would reach down and convince us of the need for us to grow in our faith, for us to become the spiritual giants that you want us to be so that we may be used of you, maybe not in dramatic ways like you used these men of old, but Lord, day in, day out, so faithful and consistent to do what you've called us to do. Help us to point others to Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I pray that if there is any person here this morning, Lord, who's never acknowledged Jesus as Savior and Lord, you give them the freedom and the courage to come forward and do that during this invitation. Father, if there are Christians here looking for a church home, because your Spirit would lead them, let them come to unite with this church family. Father, I pray that every single one of us would desire to grow in our faith and to strengthen those disciplines in our life which identify us as a disciple of yours. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake.